are not alone. You're not alone. Um, this, this is a constant refrain throughout our scriptures. Uh, from the very beginning, whenever God said, it is not good for man to be alone, um, on through the end when we see every tribe and nation and tongue gathered before God's throne and God is actually coming and making home with us. Um, and then all in between, God is constantly calling individuals into community. Uh, he made Abraham into this great nation. Um, he came and became a person with us and called disciples into community together and called them into being the church. And then, well, look around. He, here we are, still today, the church. Um, each week, we come to this table together to remind one another that we are not alone. And yet, our culture faces this epidemic of loneliness. I don't know if you guys have, have heard about this, but just a couple months ago, uh, Cigna, the health organization, uh, released a study which found that nearly half of all Americans report feeling alone or, or left out. That increasingly, uh, folks feel as though they have no one to turn to, um, no one to connect with, um, and this trend is highest among uh, people ages 18 to 22. Um, and these, these are folks who, uh, well, in many ways, grow, have grown up in the technology age, life constantly filtered through a screen. I kind of wonder if that's part of it. Um, this is also the age that typically uh, you would you leave home and kind of venture into the unknown. And, and it, it's a, a lonely time. Um, a, a similar study was done, uh, I think, last year in, in the U.K., and this actually led to the official appointment of a minister for loneliness in the government of the, the UK. Um, if you heard about that, this is a pressing issue, a pressing problem. I mean, the fact that a health organization did the study should at least like pique some curiosity, um, because studies have shown that loneliness is connected to increased risk of heart disease, arthritis, and diabetes, um, that it actually affects our bodies. Um, and then also our, our mental health is affected, that loneliness um, maybe sort of obviously leads to uh, depression, um, but also uh, leads to being stuck in this constant state of fear, uh, uh, whether that's latent or, or more um, agitated. But that, that causes folks to respond to the world with greater sort of uh, flight or fight response, um, which that makes me wonder about our current state of public discourse. Um, you know, maybe... We are angry because we're lonely. Um, all of this goes to show that God was quite serious when he said it is not good for man to be alone. But thank goodness that we have this shared community of faith. And yet, even with a community of faith, we can still feel lonely in a city that doesn't understand our faith. Um, in our day-to-day -day lives, we can feel isolated as people of faith. And even as a church community, we can sometimes wonder, what in the world are we trying to do here um, when everything around us doesn't really understand as, as we're trying to follow the way of Christ? Um, but, but we're not the only ones to have sought out uh, the, the, the way of faith. Uh, many of you know that I recently finished graduate school. Uh -oh. What happened? 
I think I pressed something. There we go. Sorry. Uh, many of you know that I recently finished graduate school. Um, and uh, much of my thesis that I worked on was on the history of Christian spirituality. Um, and, and so kind of looking at, well, this great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. One of the uh, people who I read was Richard Foster, um, who maybe some of you are familiar with. And he actually uh, says that, that we shouldn't just look sort of side to side to our current uh, community of faith, but that we should also look back to our historic community of faith as we journey through. He, he says that we are helped immensely by looking at their efforts and learning their stories. And so I say all of this to say this is precisely what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. Um, and our call to worship this morning, well, my fiance, <laughs> uh, reminded us of the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us in faith. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at their stories and learn from their lives. Uh, you know, the, this past year, uh, we've been filled with uh, the Beatitudes, which we just did the last few weeks, Ephesians. Um, and then if you, if you can remember back to that long New City Catechism series that we were in forever. <laughs> It was great. We loved it. Um, but so, you know, so, so all of those, uh, or at least most of the New City Catechism series and, and, and a lot of the other have been from the New Testament. And one thing that uh, Mark has mentioned as we've been talking about this next series is this need that we have for a healthy, balanced diet of Scripture. And so for the next uh, several weeks, the rest of the summer, we'll be journeying through the Old Testament and hearing stories of the women and men of faith there. And so as we listen to them, my hope uh, is that we would come to know and believe that we are not alone. So this week we're beginning with the story of Abraham. So let's begin uh, this story. Let's listen to the beginning of this story in Genesis 12 as we read together. You can listen to this. 12 verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, at the time, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever who curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went and did as the Lord told him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us community. Thank you for giving us one another. And thank you for giving us a great cloud of witnesses to look to and learn from and be a part of. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning as we consider these words of Scripture and that you would call us into your life of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage that we've just read, we see the call of Abraham, who becomes God's chosen one, right? The one through whom God is going to work. And, and we love this chosen one motif, 
right? We, we tell it all the time in our stories. Um, maybe just a couple of examples of, of that. Uh, there's, there's at least two distinct ways of being a chosen one. Um, one of them is the likes of Anakin Skywalker, all right? So if, if you're familiar with the Star Wars prequels, which you may not want to admit being familiar with the Star Wars prequels, um, but if you are, then you know that Anakin enters the story as this young chosen one who is strong with the Force, right? Um, but then if you know the rest of the story, you know that it, it goes really bad, right? <laughs> that um, Anakin perceives his chosenness ultimately as, as privilege, and he forsakes his training and turns to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. And I'm sorry for the spoilers, but you really should know this by now. Um, <laughs> and so that's one way of being a chosen one. Um, but, but there's another way to be a chosen one. Um, over the past few weeks since finishing grad school, I have reread the, the last Harry Potter book. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, and it's, it's been, for me, it's been like being a kid again. Like, it's great. I have so many memories of, like, middle school and high school years when the Harry Potter books were actually coming out and just, like, spending the summer, like, sprawled out on my bed reading Harry Potter all day and taking breaks to, like, go get snacks and go to the bathroom and then back to Harry Potter. It's great. So this has been post-grad life for me. Um, but if you're familiar with Harry Potter, then you know that from the very beginning of the series, Harry is known as the boy who lived. He is a special chosen one who overcomes Voldemort, the, the dark lord uh, of, of the wizarding world. And throughout the series, uh, Harry's chosenness brings him a great deal of fame and privilege, also a great deal of complication and hardship. But by the end, Harry knows that being the boy who lived means that he must die. And so in the end, he sacrifices himself to finally defeat Voldemort. Again, sorry for the spoilers, but that was 10 years ago. So. Um, these are two radically different ways of living into chosenness. Right? Anakin Skywalker used his chosenness to take power upon himself, whereas Harry Potter used his chosenness to give up his power for the sake of others. Um, so these are just a couple of you know, pop culture references. Maybe one more example, if you're not up on all the, the stories and, and things. Is, is just this question, how would you respond to news that a celebrity was coming to visit you? Right? One response might be like, oh, oh no, I'm, I'm not worthy. Like, why? Um, but another response might be, oh, oh wow. I, I must be important. Wow. Um, these, are, these are two different ways of, of responding. Or if we're honest, we're probably a little of both of those. Um, which uh, Dallas Willard, uh, someone I've been reading recently, refers to as humble arrogance. Uh, outward humility, you know, oh, no, I'm not worthy. With an inward pride, oh, I must be important. Um, so with all of this in mind, let's look back at this passage together this morning and, and just explore this sense of what it means to be a chosen one. Um, I, I want to talk about God's promise to Abraham God's intention for that promise, and God's plan, including our part in it. And so God's promise. I want to look back particularly at verses 2 and 3. Um, and even if 
you want to um, back up on the slides and throw them back up here, verses 2 and 3. Um, if you're reading in the NIV, which is what we have up here, uh, it's also printed on the back of the blue card if you have that, want to look at that, um, you'll see that it's actually printed in poetic form rather than prose. And so it's made up of these three stanzas between verses 2 and 3, um, and each of which has this similar pattern. It, God says, I will and I will. I will and I will. This is the pattern that we have in, in these, these verses and this promise. And so the first is, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. The second is, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then the third is, I will bless those who bless you, curse the one who curses you, and all peoples will be blessed through you. So what is God promising to Abraham? On on the surface, it kind of looks like fortune, fame, and favor right? A great nation means fortune and prosperity. A great name means he's going to be famous. And then there's the blessing and curse stuff, which I think kind of essentially means he's going to be really popular. He's going to have favor. You know, if like bad things are going to happen, if you don't, if you're not on his good side, then like that leads to popularity probably. Um, And and the thing is these promises like have stock. Um, A great nation like to, to this day, like Thousands of years later, there is a nation and a people group who trace themselves back to Abraham. Um, a great name. Again, to this day, like there, there are now three major world religions that fall under the name Abrahamic faith. And then the question of blessing and curse stuff, that, well, that plays out in world politics, and I don't at all want to go there. Um, but we can at least see that these promises have lived. Um, but what's so holy? about these promises. Like, isn't fortune, fame, and favor the stuff that we're supposed to kind of give up, turn away from for the sake of holy lives that are devoted to God? Well, yes, in in a way. And we're going to get to that. But first, I I want to say that, that fortune, fame, and favor are not inherently bad or evil things. Or maybe another way of saying it is is having privilege is not wrong. Here, God promises Abraham an incredibly privileged life. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Most of us here today live with an incredible amount of privilege. Um, I was just thinking uh, a couple years ago, uh, Sanctuary helped to sponsor an event called What It Means to Be White, um, talking about the reality of, of white privilege. Um, you know, most of us are economically comfortable. We are people who have a great deal of privilege. And having privilege is not right or wrong. Rather, it's how we live with it. Because on the one hand, having privilege could lead to sort of pride and presumption. Or on the other hand, and maybe, you know, this is more likely in the Northwest, it can lead to sort of more shame and paralysis. Um, You know, oh no, like, I realize I have privilege, what do I do? And kind of just shrinking back. Um, Or perhaps it leads to a mix of both, kind of that humble arrogance. But the purpose of God's promise is not arrogance or shame, but rather blessing. And this leads us back to the passage and looking 
not only at God's promise, but God's intention for the promise. So I want to look again at verses 2 and 3. On the surface of God's promise to Abraham, it looks like promises of fortune, fame, and favor. But to see God's intentions for each, we have to look at the second half of each stanza. So the first, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. The second, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then the third, I will bless those who bless you, curse the one who curses you, and all peoples will be blessed through you. If we look under the surface of this passage to the second half of these stanzas, there is a resounding refrain. God's intention is blessing, not only for Abraham, but for all. For all people through Abraham. As I was preparing for this morning, I was reading a chapter of a book uh, by theologian and scholar Richard Bauckham. I mean, he elaborates on this biblical notion of blessing. I just want to read a little bit to you of, of what I saw. He writes that blessing is this rich biblical notion that has been rather neglected in Christian theology. Blessing in the Bible refers to God's characteristically generous and abundant giving of all good to his creatures and his continual renewal of the abundance of created life. Blessing is for or blessing is God's provision for human flourishing. But also, blessing is relational. To be blessed by God is not only to know God's good gifts, but to know God himself in his generous giving. Because it is relational, the movement of blessing is a movement that goes out from God and then returns to him. God's blessing of people overflows in their blessing of others and those who experience blessing from God in turn bless God, which means they give all that creatures really have to give to God, thanksgiving and praise. So blessings may have some material aspects to them, but the purpose of blessing is relationship. Blessing is intended to draw us nearer to God through thanksgiving and praise, and also intended to draw us nearer to one another through kindness and generosity. Material blessings, however, too often actually do the opposite of that, um, often dividing us from one another as we sort of sort ourselves in economic classes and, you know, well, have some of that humble arrogance of sort of assuming that we're better than someone else because of what we have. Um, or it, uh, material blessings can actually divide us from God as we begin to believe the lie of self-sufficiency. Um, that, oh, I, I have enough. I can make it on my own. I'm just fine. Um, one of my favorite moments in our service each week is a moment of, of offering and that we always prepare our hearts for it by singing the doxology Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is something that those in heaven and all creatures here below are, are looking to. And in this moment in the service, we pause and turn our own attention towards that reality. That all blessings come from God. And by then turning toward offering, we realize that 
that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. And we see that here with Abraham, God's intention. We are blessed to be a blessing. And this is God's plan for the world. And so as we close, uh, wind down here, I want to introduce just a simple concept that I think has some big implications for how we think about blessing, how we think about our chosenness, how we think about God and the world. And there's two words, um, universal and particular. Uh, Universal and particular. Um, and, And this is the concept. Our universal God redeems the world through particular means. Or maybe another way of saying it is our eternal God is redeeming the world through small little creatures. Us. And this goes against many of our cultural impulses. Because for ages, our Western culture has been obsessed with the universal. Think back to the the early philosophers who were debating about what was universally right and true. And and now today, a lot of people have have given up on the idea of of anything being universally true. Just kind of thinking, okay, everyone can kind of do their own thing. It's going to be just fine. But there's at least one place where this this sense of of universal uh, truth, universality, is firmly implanted with us. And that's how we tend to live with power. And I think this is nowhere more clear than our current uh, political atmosphere. Because each side is arguing for what is right and true. And the impulse is to universally decree and enforce a solution. This is how we live with power. We lay down a universal law, and all the particular implications must fall in line. But that's not how God wields his power. Because God, who truly has universal power is not trying to solve the world through universal means. Rather, our universal God redeems the world through particular means. Rather than laying a universal decree and forcing everyone to fall in line, God moves through particular people at particular times, drawing them and inviting them into his universal plan. So in the text we read today, God began redeeming the world through the particular person of Abraham. And then he would become that particular nation among other nations, Israel. And then through that nation, God himself would come to enter the world at a particular time and place as Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus was here, he would call particular people to himself, his disciples, the woman at the well, folks who were sick with, with demon possessed, as we read this morning, you know, afflicted by spirits, uh, calling particular people to himself. And all of this particularity was to usher in the universal kingdom of God through his death and resurrection. And still to this day, God is moving in particular human hearts. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. 
seeds, the smallest of all seeds, that would grow into a large tree where the birds of the air would make their home. Our universal God is redeeming the world through particular means. And today, that's you. You are one of the particular people through whom God is redeeming the world. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. You are a chosen one of God. So the question is, how are you going to respond to that chosenness? It could go to your head and lead to that humble arrogance we talked about. Or maybe it could settle into your heart and move you to love and serve others. How is God moving you toward your particular role in the redemption of the world? What is your particular place in his universal kingdom? Who is God calling you to bless? As we live into our chosenness, I want to leave us with these words elsewhere in Scripture where we are encouraged to have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, did not consider his chosenness something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.